Hello and welcome to the 10th episode of Angel Insights brought to you by Syndicate Room. This is the show where we delve inside the world of angel investing to discover their tactics, tips and insights into the world of startups. I'm so thrilled to welcome Marty Zwilling to today's show. Marty is the founder and CEO of Startup Professionals, a company that provides services to startup founders around the world. His background includes a 30-year track record as an executive in general management, computer software development and product management. However, Marty is now in what he describes as give back mode as a mentor to startup founders and as an angel investor. His experience with investors includes roles on the selection committee of two local angel groups and working from the other side of the table with several VCs in Silicon Valley. In addition to this and to blogging, Marty has recently released his first book titled Do You Have What It Takes to Be an Entrepreneur? So without further ado, it is time to meet the main man himself. Here is Marty Zwilling, founder at Startup Professionals. Marty, welcome to Angel Insights. It's a great pleasure to have you on the show. Well, it's a great pleasure to be here. Uh, My passion is startups and also I do some angel investing, so I'm definitely into the areas that you're interested in. Now, I'd love to start off by hearing how you got into startups and got into angel investing. Well, it's actually uh, quite late in life, so to speak. I I had an early career with IBM many years, and then I went to Silicon Valley, and I got intrigued by the startup movement. I joined uh, two or three startups. I was involved in some early efforts to do funding. And, And so I feel like I had experience on both sides of the fence, meaning large companies and small companies, as well as companies and funding sides. So as a sort of a give back, uh, as I'm half retired, I decided to do some uh, consulting and and offer some advice to startups. I've been working with people at local university. Uh, It got to be so much fun, I started my own little company. And so I I enjoy the writing, I enjoy uh, the mentoring, I enjoy even the investing side of it as well. And do you find the consulting and the mentoring a very good way to to actually source deals? Actually, it's a very good way to understand, find out what's going on and understand in some depth. Uh, So, yes, I I would uh, definitely be more inclined to fund something if I had been involved in mentoring. On the other hand, I might be more inclined not to fund something if I'd been involved in in, uh, the consulting where things didn't look all that good. So it gives you the insight that you need, I think. Sure. And I'd love to start off then at the beginning with what some argue to be kind of the core division between investors and, and most people interested in the tech industry on the whole, which is based on the the idea or the product and the team and where the importance lies. Obviously, both are incredibly important, but for you, where would you place your priority and why? Well, I think a lot of entrepreneurs are surprised to find that most investors place more importance on the team. And and I certainly am in that camp. I, I'm, I a long time ago heard this uh, investors bet on the jockey, not the horse. And, and in fact, it still seems to be a hard concept for an entrepreneur to understand. In other words, I get calls, I get emails every day with uh, the paragraphs on how great my idea is, and, and often they don't even mention who they are, and, and they don't realize that they're missing the more important side of the equation, which is why am I the guy who can make this idea into something uh, that's great? And so I preach that to 
to uh, entrepreneurs. I actually preach it to investors as well, not to be too enamored by the, the latest great technology. Uh, you got to look at the people. And do you invest in startup founders then who have never done it before, first-time founders? Uh, it, let's see. I'm not sure whether... Yes, I think I've done that a couple of times. It it definitely is possible. It definitely, uh, to me, makes a big difference what they've done in the past. And so it isn't whether you've done another startup or not as much as it is whether you've had leadership roles, whether you have the right mindset, uh, you know, whether you have the right skills, uh, whether you've had associations or, or relationships, whether you have the right mentors and, and advisors. The whole picture has to be focused on the person. It isn't any one specific kind of thing. And how, as an angel, how do you determine whether a startup founder does have those skills? Is that through numerous meetings and coffees and drinks? Or do you see that develop over time? What is it for you that shows you that they do have the personable skills? Well, I am a big believer in face-to-face kind of communication. And like most angel investors I know, I only invest locally. In other words, I only uh, interact with startups or invest in startups where I can touch and feel the company. I can talk to the, to the leaders uh, over coffee or in their own environment. But you can actually learn these days a tremendous amount about people by looking at social media, looking at uh, their press, looking at uh, all of the things, the messages they put out, whether they're on track and that kind of thing. So it's, it is a total picture, but I would be very reluctant to, in fact, never invest in a company that's overseas, for example, from me, because I simply don't know that business environment as well as I don't have the chance to actually meet the people. And do you think the value add of an angel is compromised when the proximity is further away? Yes, uh, I believe I understand your question. I, I think most angels actually invest almost uh, almost a first priority to help the company. And, and uh, you know, uh, there's this image, it seems, or myth that, that people want to invest money to make money. And, and in fact, for angels, I think it's way more than that. Uh, I wouldn't even consider investing as a money-only kind of issue. I look to VCs in that respect who say, hey, I have millions of dollars of uh, institutional money. Maybe I, I can make money. In other words, I don't measure myself on how much money I make. I measure myself on how much impact I've had. And so I'd like to feel that, in fact, uh, I can contribute to a startup that I'm investing in. I like to feel like that they appreciate what I've done. You know, uh, I had a, an email here a while back that said, hey, I want to uh, attract angel investors. Tell me what terms I need to put in my term sheet so that they don't screw me. And, and I'm like, wait a minute, you're, you're on the wrong track from the beginning. If you have a mindset that an investor, any investor, is out to take advantage of you, you're probably going to fail. You're probably going to be unhappy with that arrangement. And you mentioned there about VCs providing the, the, the large capital. Would you say that uh, angels should be connecting their startups and their portfolio companies to VCs as one of their services that they provide? Well, it, I think you should be connecting them to anybody who can help them. I, I personally don't have uh, a big retinue of, of uh, VCs, so I couldn't validly offer that. But if, if you are an investor, an angel investor who happens to know and have worked with VCs and, and you have 
a good experience with your startup, certainly I would say it makes sense to recommend the VC as the next step. I do think that angels come before VCs. In other words, you know, some some startups I run into say, well, I'm going to jump directly to a VC because I need $10 million. And I say, whoa, wait a minute. Uh, in reality, most venture capital people will say, how come you didn't take advantage of angels? And, and uh, so there is sort of a hierarchy and there's value to doing it in, a, in orders that makes sense. So, uh, you know, it's a rare case where you can jump directly to the top. And have you found that crowdfunding slightly uh, replaced angels in some situations as that earlier stage of investing? Well, I'm a big fan of crowdfunding because I believe it actually is a reality check. It, it also obviously is an opportunity to get money uh, when you can't find angels, maybe because they're not in your area or because they're not interested. So uh, I find it to be nothing but positive. On the other hand, I don't find it replaces angels in any real sense. Uh, uh, in other words, I don't, I'm not worried as an angel that all my opportunity is going to go away. I, I see so many startups uh, that I wish I could do a lot more. And every investor I know wishes he could do a lot more. And so he's more than happy to, to see crowdfunding. Uh, at the same time, I would say that uh, it pays as an investor to be proactive. That means if you know a startup that's very, very good, you better get out there and offer them your uh, capability uh, and not wait for them to come find you or not wait for them to go to crowdfunding where they may find they don't need you. So it works both ways. And how do you evaluate the startup valuations themselves? I mean, we, you know, we always hear about these excessive valuations in the last few years. Have you seen them? And what metrics do you hone in on to determine whether the valuation is correct? Well, that's a very, uh, you know, kind of a debatable topic. And I, I get involved question. in <laughs> a meaty question. That's right. I think valuation is a very simple thing. Valuation means what is it worth today? And one of the biggest problems, myths, uh, you know, misconceptions by entrepreneurs is that the valuation is something that's what is it going to be worth tomorrow? What is it going to be worth five years from now? And, and let me put that valuation on it today. You hear it on Shark Tank. You hear it everywhere. So I, I try to get people to be realistic. And realistic means if you have revenue today, I might even give you five times revenue or something like that as a beginning point. If you have a patent today, I might give you a million dollars for that patent in terms of valuation. If you have an experienced team, I might give you a million dollars for that but we're now into the two or three million. So two or three million isn't so hard for a startup if you've done your homework. On the other hand, 10 million, and a lot of startups come in to me and say, my valuation is 10 million, I have a prototype, and you know, I've never sold anything yet, it's still a year away. I say, whoa, that's just off the charts. And, and, uh, and they can argue that my opportunity is 100 million or a billion, and, you know, I'm going to get 10% uh, and all this. And I say, you know, I'm from Missouri. Show me. And, and uh, when you are there, of course, your valuation will be that. But you aren't there yet. And there's a lot of water to go over the bridge before that happens. And so you really deep dive onto the revenue and the money that they're generating at this moment. Absolutely. I think two or three things are paramount. Uh, revenue first, I say, do you have revenue? If they say yes, I say, what is it? And, you know, if it's a few thousand, that's very good, actually, but it's not a few million. 
then I say, what do you have for intellectual property? Uh, if you have something convincing, uh, then I say, what do you have for a team? As it is it uh, experienced? Does it uh, you know stand out in some fashion? But the average valuation for angels all over the country uh, deals uh, I, I see on the internet is 2.5 million. So it's it's not hard to get to that, but to get way beyond that is very hard. And I mean, with regards to the investments yourself, what equity range do you personally look for? Well, if somebody's asking for a half million dollars to a million dollars, typically an angel might only put in, you know, 50,000. And so they may syndicate 10 to get to a half a million. But for that half million, I would expect a startup to uh, give away 20% to 30%. Uh, and so I would get a, you know, a proportion of that. But if a company comes to me and says, I want half a million and I'll give up 1%, you know, what that means in terms of uh, valuation implies 50 million or something. So you better be you better thinking, that. that's right. So in terms of equity, you better be thinking 20 to 30% uh, to get a reasonable uh, kind of investment. And then how do you as an angel stop being diluted largely when VCs come in later? Actually, you don't. Uh, in other words, there's a lot of uh, talk about well, you can put in a non-dilute clause in the term sheet and and insist that somebody else get diluted. So it's th sort of technically possible if there's going to be somebody else who's going to suffer. But in reality, somebody has to get diluted, and and uh, yet I, I'm not sure that's a bad thing. If if somebody's willing to put in a lot of money and the company is growing very rapidly, you know, a smaller percentage of a huge company is much. Uh, more attractive than a large percentage of nothing. And then, with regards to the business plan, the central element of the pitch often, what should investors be expecting in a business plan? Well, first of all, I get this question all the time about should I even write a business plan because investors don't look at them anymore. And and I, I always say you should write a business plan for yourself. That's the only way you're going to understand yourself, all the issues, and whether you've thought through those issues and have anything quantifiable, it's the only way you'll have something to communicate to your own team. And so a business plan is very useful. On the other hand, uh, I do think that there are certainly venture capital people who only deal with companies who uh, are entrepreneurs who have sold their last business for $800 million or something. They never look at a business plan because they already know they're working with a proven entity. And so when a VC stands up and says, I don't read business plans, that to me means he only works with proven entities. He doesn't work with that first-time entrepreneur. Uh, and so for a first-time entrepreneur, that's the kind angels typically work with. I think uh, a business plan, is it's sort of a... It's sort of an intelligence test. In other words, if you come to me and you say, I have no business plan, I think of you much lower than if you say, I've done the business plan, you know, I'm not trying to sell it on that alone, uh, but uh, it shows that he's done his homework. And you mentioned earlier about syndicating the rest of deals in some cases, and in recent years we've seen a big rise in the amount of group investing in syndicates. What are your thoughts on this as a, as a medium of funding? Do you like co-investing with people? Yes, I, I find that 
I'm a member of an angel group. I find that being a member of a group of angels is very positive in the sense not only that you can easily syndicate a small investment into a larger amount, but also you get the feedback and the counsel from people who are experts. In other words, my group, uh, Arizona Technology Investors, has about 80 people. They sort of focus on technology things, but that could be medical, it could be software, it can be hardware. And so we share our expertise. That means if a startup comes in and it's, a, say, a medical device startup, we ask uh, Joe, who's an expert in that or has background in that, to, for an opinion and an evaluation. Uh, and and uh, we trust him because he's part of our group. He would do the same. I happen to have a software background, so if it's a software product, uh, I might be able to give some insight. That's tremendously valuable for anybody. And, and uh, I find that even VCs have, you know, five, ten partners and each of them kind of focuses so that uh, they look to one partner or the other for that insight, depending on their expertise. There's nothing wrong with that, as, and the syndication is, is just a sort of an added value. And then talking of your investments, I'd love to delve into a, a war story or something that may not have gone to plan and what you learned from it as an investor. Well, you know, I don't want to go into any specifics, but I, I will admit that I'm no expert. In other words, I don't have any huge track record. And and I look back on my own investments and I say, you know, despite my focus on the technical issues and doing the process, my heart is a little too big. Uh, in other words, I look at a situation as any human would look at it and I say, wow, they have some risk, big risk, or they have some weaknesses. But I'm confident that they're going to overcome those maybe with my help. And, and uh, in fact, my track record is not all that good. Uh, and I, I, I guess I rationalize that by saying, I believe I've helped a lot of startups, and I believe that's what an angel investor really wants to do, is share their expertise, maybe share their money. And you know, realizing that one out of 100 startups is going to make it, that if uh, a couple of them don't, uh, that's not uh, the end of the world. And how many companies have you invested in now? I believe only five. In other words, I'm a, a minor investor from the standpoint of the the uh, kind of the portfolio approach, which is popular these days. It says you should invest in say ten startups and, and expect plan. Yeah, and and so you know this is a function of of uh, how much money you have, I guess, uh, to start with, and how much uh, effort and time you want to put into it. I happen to be. Uh, uh, I have to pay the rent, so I do consulting, I do the other kind of things, but I'm, in fact, uh, let's say, a minor league investor as well. And then, if it's okay with you, we're going to move into a quick-fire round. Okay. Your favorite book, and why? Uh, Guy Kawasaki, The Art of the Start. Uh, in other words, that's uh, Kawasaki has several books, and and to me, it tells you what you need to know about startups, about being a startup if you're an entrepreneur. A reality check is another one, and, and he has some really good points. The most common mistake you see founders make? I think they give up too early. Uh, you know, what, what I mean by that is that if you're going to have problems. You know, if you go into any new business, there are unknowns. And, and what I find is that the people who succeed are the ones who never give up. In other words, they fight to the bitter end. And, and right before the bitter end, they turn it around to success, 
way too many give up at that point and see no success. What startup founder do you admire the most? Wow. It's uh, a hard question. <laughs> you know, Elon Musk, I guess, uh, you know, all of the work that he's done, all the different startups, uh, I think he's, he's a great role model and has some great technology as well as uh, some great approaches, philosophy. And then your advice to a, a entrepreneur, a wannabe entrepreneur with an idea but maybe no technical ability. Uh, find a partner. I, so two heads are always better than one. If you have one that has the idea, maybe the technical ability, but not the business side, find a partner, share 50-50, whatever it takes, and say, if you got a little money, you have a little business uh, capability, I have the idea, let's work together. Uh, too many people want to give that business side one uh, percent or something, and that's way off the track. Uh, it's it won't succeed unless you have both. Well, Marty, it was absolutely fantastic to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for giving up your time. Okay, Harry, I definitely appreciate it, and uh, keep going. What a fantastic interview we just had with Marty there. And as always, we have published an amazing accompanying article featuring the wisdom Marty shared in today's inspiring interview. And that can be found on the Syndicate Room website at www.syndicateroom.com. However, before we leave, I would like to remind you that whenever you invest in early stage ventures, your capital is at risk. So take the time to do your due diligence. Tip, this show does count as due diligence, so never invest more than you can afford to lose. Thank you so much for listening to today's show, and we look forward to bringing you next week's phenomenal interview with Andy McLaughlin, co-founder at Huddle, now at Softech. So stay tuned.